everybody. Welcome to another episode of Courtside with Violence and Tennis, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. We have with us 12th year men's head coach of the Tulane Green Wave, Coach Mark Boris. Coach Boris was named head coach for Tulane men's tennis in 2008 and was tasked with rebuilding a program that was discontinued for four years as a result of Hurricane Katrina in 2005. Since then, Coach Boris has orchestrated the program's improbable return to national prominence as a top 30 team in the country. We are happy to have him on. He's also a Chicago guy, so he's already on my good list. Please welcome to the pod, Coach Mark Boris. Coach, thanks for uh, hanging out with a fellow Chicagoan and uh, walking us through your journey. Hey, David, thanks so much for having me. Uh, this is exciting to be on the broadcast with you. Uh, as soon as I heard you were from Chicago, I had to jump on here. You know, we got to look out for each other. Uh, even if we cheer for different teams, I'm guessing you might cheer for somebody else. I'm not going to talk about it until later, maybe. But <laughs> uh, but great to be here. And uh, now that you even mentioned a uh, 12-year head coach, I started looking at the video. Man, I've got some great. I'm getting old. <laughs> wow. This is great. For Thanks for having me, David. For those that, that don't see, and we will eventually release this on, on YouTube, I'm jealous because I'm looking at, at Mark. He's sitting in a T-shirt in his backyard right now. We're recording during the winter months in Chicago, and Mark knows uh, all too well what those winter months in Chicago are. So you're, you're, you're hurting me a little bit. But, um, again, thank you for, for spending time. And, um, again, I'm, I'm interested. I know you're a Chicago guy. Tell a little bit about where you grew up and, and where you started playing tennis at. Yeah, of course, David. I, uh, so I grew up in Flossmoor which is the south suburb of Chicago. I played uh, junior tennis. I had to travel up north all the time because we didn't have a, a huge tennis community or uh, a, a background yet in, in, in the south side. So um, uh, we went up to Willowbrook and my coach was Milt Newman. And uh, Milt had a, one of the top programs. It was like we had Milt Newman's thing at Willowbrook. We had Jack Sharp's thing at Aurora. And we had Steve Wilde up in Libertyville. We had Steve Casati uh, out up north as well. And so uh, we had, and there's, I'm leaving out 10 other great coaches, uh, but we had so many fantastic tennis programs in Chicago. Um, you could, you know, you could look at the rankings and juniors from, you know, 12s up to 18s. And we always had somebody in the top five in the nation. It was ridiculous. Um, but Milt was a great fit for us. And uh, he had, uh, he had uh, two great uh, players come through. He, both of his kids were ranked uh, top two or three in the nation, and uh, 14, 16s, and 18s are unbelievable. Uh, son Jeff made top 150 or 70 in the world back when he played on the tour. Um, daughter Chris played at Duke. Uh, but anyway, uh, so we, we had a great Chicago experience growing up in Chicago. Uh, we used to travel all the way around. So, we like I said, we'd go to Willowbrook. We'd go to Aurora. We'd go to Libertyville. We'd go to Midtown. We'd go everywhere. There was great tennis and, and get that exposure um, to that level. And that was a big thing for, for us. My mom, um, uh, she, we're not a tennis family. Like my mom and dad didn't play. They just picked it up late in life. And so I'm the last of four. I've got two older brothers and an older sister. Everybody played uh, tennis and they all played in college as well. Uh, my oldest brother played at Marquette. Uh, Nick, my, my sister Pam played at Texas Tech. My brother Jamie played at Ole Miss. He was actually the first All-American tennis player at Ole Miss. Uh, and, uh, and then there was me. So um, I was last in line. I kind of got um, the benefit from being last in line because my mom, as she was learning out how to do all the coaching stuff and how to get us involved with tournaments, 
you know, I, I, she got me started earlier, uh, earlier with the coach. I was a late starter still. We didn't start playing tennis till I was about maybe 10 or 11 or 12. Uh, I remember my first lessons not being until I was about 12, but uh, played a few different sports until that time. And then, um, yeah, played uh, high school tennis at home with Flossmore. Tried to play the huge, you know, national uh, uh, scale of, of, of tournaments and whatnot. Um, I was always a little bit of a, uh, well, I was, I was always tall and gangly. So I was always like six, it felt like I was always six foot six or something, but it, I mean, I wasn't. So uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, but I was, I was, I was kind of always feeling into my body uh, when I was growing up. And so I wasn't really great at tennis. I was, I played serve and volley when I was 13 or 14. It was hilarious. I had a one-hander. Everybody was laughing and they're like, oh my gosh, this kid is serving in volley and, you know, sitting slices running the net at 14 years old. Um, so I, my game started catching up with me uh, back in like seven, like when I was 17 and like 18s or so. And so I started to, to, to bloom a little bit there. Uh, my junior rankings, not so great. I think my highest national ranking was 92 or something, which that was in my good year, you know, like on the second year, you know, of your 18s or something. So, I mean, I, that's nice, you know, but I mean, it's not anything special, but, um, but, well, uh, I mean, but yeah, worked, yeah, worked hard and, and, uh, had great coach and had great junior experience and had, had parents that wanted to invest in that experience. I think that was one of the big things is that, you know, we, a lot of people talk to me nowadays, they're like, Hey, what do I have to do for my kid to get him? You know, I want him to get a college scholarship. Like, okay, how much does he play per week? How many tournaments does he play per month? My mom was just a diehard with it. And she invested basically her whole life in it, which was amazing. Great to have that parental support. And, and don't diminish anything in your junior career because you obviously did some, some things right. I mean, you played collegiate tennis at, at West Virginia. Uh, I'm curious, you know, what schools recruited you and, and how did a kid from Chicago wind up playing, uh, West Virginia, playing, playing at West Virginia? Yeah, great, uh, great, great question. I mean, it's, it was kind of interesting. So, like, I, I, I kind of played down junior career. I was just a basic late bloomer, but I, I, a lot of coaches looked at me as a guy that was going to, do something maybe looks I hit my serve like 190 miles an hour and and just ran to the net right so like hey this guy could end up doing something right so um uh maybe not 190 I was playing with a wooden <laughs> racket too I don't know maybe, maybe I'm a little slower I like to embellish some stories sometimes um but uh yeah so I remember having a decent tournament at one of the indoor nationals and a few different coaches started recruiting me uh, my senior year I was talking with West Virginia I was talking with um Kansas I was at Scotty Perlman at Kansas from in. Yep. There's a little shout out for the, for the alma mater. Um, and uh, let's see, Ole Miss uh, where my brother went. Uh, I talked with Tennessee coach De Palmer just a little bit. Um, so the, the recruiting kind of picture was interesting because my brother and I were, were very close. We were like best friends growing up still are, and we're only a couple of years apart and everybody kind of thought I was going to go to Ole Miss cause he went to Ole Miss and I kind of always did what he did. Um, and it just, it, I went on a recruiting trip to West Virginia at the time. If you remember, they were top 15 in the country a couple of years in a row. They had Joby Foley and Paul Mancini, Brad Kelly at one, two, and three. So they, they had this all-American team of these guys that developed out of nowhere from like that area in West Virginia and Ohio and Pennsylvania. And, um, and it was, it was a, it was a, it was a place where I knew that I was going to go and probably play number six or so as a freshman Whereas if I went to Ole Miss or Tennessee or Kansas, it was going to be a little bit different challenge uh, to get in the lineup because they were just a touch stronger. Um, 
but and I got a great scholarship offer as well. The other schools were, you know, very interested, it sounded like, but weren't coming through on some scholarship offers as much. And that was necessary. It was like important for our family. So um, while I did really enjoy my recruiting opportunity and opportunities at these different schools and these, all these other schools were amazing coaches and whatnot. West Virginia was the best fit for me. And, and, uh, and it, uh, it, it was a good fit. I mean, here you're a four-year letterman for the Mountaineers from 89 to 93, twice served as a team captain with the uh, Atlantic 10 conference player of the year. Uh, your top 20 singles and doubles player throughout college career said it worked out pretty well. Very solid, solid career. Thanks. Thanks so much. I mean, it was, it was uh, truly, I guess, the story of the late bloomer because my freshman year, I played number six. I didn't even start my first couple matches. Uh, I remember coach put me in late and I ended up playing number six, uh, had a great freshman year, lost one match the whole year or something. We were ranked somewhere around 13 or 14 in the country. Uh, then we had all those, those, the seniors graduate from those, you know, they were telling you how, you know, all these, the strong team we had so we had really top heavy team senior heavy team and they graduated and I my game started to bump up as well at that time coach took a shot at putting me higher in the lineup I started winning all of a sudden I won our regional uh my sophomore year I think and or got to the finals of it and was ranked top 20 in my sophomore year so I went from being a, a very very average junior player to a college player who didn't really play in the lineup, who did play in the lineup at number six to being top 20 player in singles and, and, and a little bit higher in doubles. And um, so, I, you know, the opportunity that I got at West Virginia was fantastic because they played a, a great national schedule. And that was one of the other reasons I chose them was that they were going to be, you know, in a conference that was okay, but the coach was able to play a lot of great national teams, nationally ranked teams. So we got great exposure um, and allowed me to see um, uh, that those experiences from all different areas. No, that's great. So after college, you you actually played on the pro tour for for a short while. You ranked as high as 267 in the world in doubles, you know, top 800 in singles. But but after a three year career on the pro tour, I mean you got into coaching pretty quickly and you've been doing it a long time and being successful at it. Was that something that, you know, in the back of your mind, after a great college experience thinking maybe, you know what, I'll try the circuit for a little bit, but I'm thinking coaching could be something that that could be a lot of fun. How'd you get um, started it, started in it? Yeah. Um, almost like exactly like you said, it was something that I, I really, enjoyed. I had my college experience was, was fantastic. We had great guys on the team. We had great coaches. Um, uh, you know, West Virginia is super fun school. Um, so I really embraced the whole college experience that, that I had, uh, whether it was training hard or whether it was, you know, playing great, you know, great level of, of teams and, uh, or just enjoying the college atmosphere. And, um, so when I, I was fortunate enough to play for three years, uh, I was again, a late bloomer there started slow then started, you know, jumping up in the rankings and unfortunately just ran out of money. Um, you know, sob story, here we go with the violin, but, but ran out of money and, um, I was going to end up putting my mom in the poor house if I stayed out there, uh, you know, ranked about two sixty seventy or something like that. You're not really making anything. And I kept wanting to do something in singles, but I should have just gone and played doubles because, you know, I just, it was a lot easier, but I kept wanting to do something in singles and had to play these satellites for, you know, four weeks at a time. And, uh, uh, it was a grind, but great experience. Got to travel around the world for three years. Uh, just massive blessing. I mean, it's, it's, 
I tell people the the opportunity that I had to travel around the world was was almost as almost as great or even greater of an education that I had in school and whatnot it's because I was put into different places I was put into different cultures I was put into different experiences and and forced to learn how to deal with them um, you know growing up where I grew up is you know kind of like a cookie cutter world that we're in sometimes in in the U.S. Um, and uh, so it was really great for me to get out and travel around the world and uh, I think that helped that helped kind of develop my character personality in different ways and seeing some different sides of things. And then, like you said, um, the coaching side, I, as things were getting close to closer to the end of, of my playing career, I had to go back and finish my degree because I left after four years uh, and didn't graduate. But I so I said, Hey, I'll go back and finish. And, but I knew I wanted to get into another, another area, which was sports psychology, because it's something that I struggled with when I was playing was the mental side of things. I didn't have as much of a grasp of confidence and, uh, and self-talk and, and all the different kinds of things that we need in order to be successful on the court uh, and to be the best competitors. And so those things came a little bit late for me and I, I started learning about them here and there. And so I said, Hey, you know what? So I finished my undergrad. And then I stayed at West Virginia to do my master's in sports psychology. And I said, this would be a perfect combination to take into the college world because so many kids in college tennis, they have this great ability. You know, they're, they're physically just so talented, right? They have great technical facility and ability to do whatnot, but sometimes they just don't know how to think. Sometimes they don't know how to act, right? Sometimes they, they don't have someone pushing them in those directions and, and college tennis you get to really invest in that. You get to be on the court with the guys every point, you know I mean? Yeah. You don't talk to them every point, but you can be there with them, walking with them, telling them, Hey, listen, let's think like this. If you kind of see them going a different direction or let's try this on this point, or let's get back to this. So I thought having a sports psychology background as well as a tennis background uh, would be a great combination for a college coach. And uh, I remember looking at the, the national rankings when I was getting ready to graduate uh, from my master's. I remember looking at it and I said, okay, I'll just start calling schools and, um, and see who, who needs an assistant coach. And uh, I, there was no, I guess there was internet back then, but I didn't have a computer. Uh, and uh, I didn't even have a cell phone or anything. I just remember finding the rankings somehow. And number one in the, that year was Stanford. They won the national title. They beat LSU in the finals or something like, or no, they, LSU got the final four or something like that. I can't remember what it was, but LSU finished number two. So I called Dick at Stanford. Of course, Tommy, uh, uh, John was still there. And, um, and so I knew that wasn't going to be a job, but then I called Jeff Brown at LSU and I was like, Hey Jeff, I know you don't know me, you know, from Adam, but uh, uh, do you need an assistant coach? And it was like October or November. And he said, actually, yeah. When can you start? And <laughs> Wow. And I said, well, I mean, I can start, you know, now or December or January. I just got to finish my degree here this semester. And he says, okay, well, and he didn't know me, but he did some calls, made some calls, some, you know, on some references I gave. And he was like, oh, well, you actually do know how to play tennis. Okay, great. And so <laughs> he kind of went out on a whim and hired me. And uh, I mean, I basically owe that college career opportunity and coaching to Jeff Brown, who took a chance on me and, and uh, uh, you know, was a great mentor for me at LSU. Uh, we had a great time together. He was obviously a fantastic player, fantastic coach, won two SEC titles, two, two final fours. I mean, my goodness, he's, he's done it all. And uh, Jeff Brown was just more than anything, he's a great guy. And uh, so I really enjoyed my time with him for 10 years and, and owe a lot of what I do now to what I learned from Jeff and while I was working with him.
What a great place to start. And I mean, you, you obviously were, were perfecting and doing a great job at your craft in 2007, the ITA named you the national assistant coach of the year. Um, and then as possibly you started to look in, looking at um, head coaching opportunities, Tulane was interesting because you had Katrina. So they didn't even have a program for a few years. Talk about how that opportunity came about. Yeah. That, uh, interesting is, is a great, great word, really unique opportunity. I mean, we, I had started to interview at some, some, some of the, for some of the head coaching jobs that were opening up those previous couple of years. And I was getting some looks from some schools and I didn't get any offers, but I got to do some interviews and practice that and get a little bit more comfortable with myself and kind of who I was and what I wanted and where I wanted to go with the program. And, and, um, uh, so I was definitely trying to make a jump from, from the, you know, the, the assistant coach to the head coach position. And just previous to that, those last two years, Tulane was ranked top 15 or 18 in the country, both years. They were really fantastic. They, um, they had beaten us at LSU. Us, oh gosh, don't say that. I cut that out of the thing. They'd beaten LSU. <laughs> we'll, we'll try to edit that part. Yeah. <laughs> they'd beaten while well, we were there, while well, I was there and they, you know, ended up making the final 16 of nationals and, and, you know, had great teams. And so I saw how good they could be. And of course, like you said, Katrina came through and wiped out the program as well as eight other, seven other programs at, uh, at Tulane. And there was a four-year hiatus where there was no program. Um, they brought it back and they said, you know, I got a call from the athletic director who happened to know somebody who knew me. And he said, hey, Mark, my friend said, Mark, are you interested in this job? And I said, yeah. And so I heard about a little bit about it from the athletic director. And, you know, it was a, it was a very, it was a very unique opportunity that, there's nothing really like it. I mean, that's, that's ever been, you know I mean? This is a top 15 program that got washed away and got lost all its players. And now there's this opportunity to rebuild a program from scratch, make it your own and try to get it back up in the top 15 in the country again, or top whatever 10 or better. So I like that challenge. I like that idea of thing of being able to build something on my own. Um, and, but I, but the thing about Tulane, I mean, the, what I saw in Tulane was different than I think what a lot of other coaches might have saw. I mean, there was a handful of coaches that were, you know, kind of like Mark, don't do it, you know, and they, I, look, man, you just interviewed at this huge SEC job last year. There's going to be another one that opens up. Are you sure you don't want to wait? And I was like, you know what, this is the right thing for me. And I, I, I had a very, uh, a lot of peace about it. Um, uh, I, I do a lot of praying in, in my life and as a spiritual guy, I, I, I seek for that, that there's some guidance from a higher power there. And, and, um, uh, and I felt like God was leading me down this, this path, uh, to go to Tulane and, um, uh, because of different opportunities and different things that, that could be done there and rebuilding a program and giving back to the tennis community, you know, for something that was lost. Right. And, uh, so it's like, you know, how do I, how can I do that? How can I serve my community? How can I serve those things around me and still you'll be a head coach? And this was just a really unique opportunity, right? And um, the things that I loved about Tulane that made it even more reasonable for me to look and say, this can be a great program again, a great program again is number one, I knew they were going to have an athletic opportunity because they talked about the investment they had in the program. Number two, they have the academic opportunity because they're you know one of the top 40 or 45 schools in the country every year academically so a lot of tennis players love that they want to they see that the parents see the value in that and they want that for their kid so we have the athletics and we have the academics and then 
we have what I call the one, two, three punch, which is the social or the location. And New Orleans in itself, you know, is a place like that's on everybody's bucket list. Um, and everybody's got to go there. And, and, and I mean, it's beautiful weather all year round. You know, we're here in, in wintertime and I'm on a T-shirt and shorts in my backyard. Um, you know, we're going to play outdoor Thanks for rubbing that in right now. Yeah, playing outdoor tennis all year. And, and um, you know, it's, it's a, it's, I felt like the, the one, two, three punch of athletics, academics, and location was something that there's only a, a few schools that can offer that. I mean, when I really look at all the top tennis schools in America, there's, I can think of maybe three or four that have all three of the, all three of those things. And, you know, the, the culture here in New Orleans is so unique. It's so different. It's so embracing. It's so nice to be around these people down here. Um, it's, it's a little, it's different than the, than, not saying it's not America. I'm saying it's a little different than the rest of America, the way people look at things down here, uh, uh, which is great. They, they, they have a real laissez-faire kind of fun, you know, uh, let the good times roll attitude and, uh, laissez, sorry, laissez-bon-temps-roulé, not laissez-faire. Um, and, um, but it's, it's great. We love it down here. So I took the job and, uh, of course it was a, huge undertaking, zero players, uh, and we had just been underwater. So uh, that was trying to recruit with, uh, with that background of saying you know, every single recruit I talked to for about three or four years said, you know, CNN's still showing me videos that you guys are underwater. And I was like, well, those, are, those are pretty old videos, you know, and, and uh, uh, but it was, a, it was a tough uphill climb, but, you know, we were able to we were able to, you know, get the kids that we wanted, and and I really wanted to make sure we were getting the right kinds of kids. Um, you know, the, the the there was no rush to be top twenty in the country or whatever from our administration. They just said, hey, listen, we want the right kinds of kids to build the right kind of program. So, my goal was to build the right foundation. We brought in great kids with great academics or super hard workers, and they took a chance on us and and uh, and came here when there was nothing and. You know, that first team back, then that second team back, those are the guys we owe all this to. Those are the ones that, that took a chance and, and made this happen. And their hard work and their dedication is what allowed us to get even more recruits down the road uh, and, and get the program to where it is. Well, let me brag about you and your program a little bit because you've done a tremendous job. I mean, the post-Katrina era began in 2009, 2010. Um, since then, your leadership has produced an active streak of four consecutive NCAA tournament appearances, an ITA national indoor intercollegiate championship singles champion who we're going to talk to in a bit, uh, talk to about in a bit. You got four ITA All-Americans in singles, 17 all-conference selections, including 12 in singles and five different doubles tandems. Your program has been just as successful off the court as well as the Green Wave has achieved a perfect score of 1,000 on the NCAA academic progress rate in each of the 10 seasons. The 2016 season was special. Um, you had Dom having his historic senior year. Again, we're going to talk about him in a minute. Um, became the first Tulane national champion since 1955, claiming the ITA National Indoor Intercollegiate Championship. Um, Dom, who we're talking to, is Dominic Kepfer. Was also the first in program history to reach number one in singles. In the Oracle ITA National Poll was a two-time NCAA All-American, was named the 2016 ITA National Men's Senior Player of the Year. And just in 2019, most recently, you guided the Green Wave to their first ITA national team indoor championship appearance in program history and a four straight NCAA tournament bid. You literally took this program from nothing and have accomplished great, great things. And I know you're super, super proud and you're continuing to build uh, and, and do great, great things. 
Thanks so much, David. That's uh, uh, honestly, it's quite humbling to hear that when you when you when you start talking like that about all those things. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know. And and we're we're just we've been really blessed here. We've been we've had the ability to to do. We've had the support from our administration to do what we want to do in rebuilding the program, and we've had the support from the tennis community uh, around us that have helped uh, helped create an atmosphere that that is very uh, attractive to recruits. And then obviously Tulane itself. And um, I mean, this is you know you, you read off those stats. I just think of every one of those stats. I think of the guys that were on those teams and the and the commitments that they made and the the choice the the challenge that they took to come here. Right. The 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 efforts that they all put in with those 6 a.m. workouts and the running that we did nonstop and everything and you know all those things can be can just be attributed to getting the right kinds of kids here who wanted to do the to wanted to do something special and part of the part of the you know recruiting spiel I give I, I, I talked to you about that one two three punch but I say I need kids that want to do something unique you know this this never done but happened before nobody's ever taken a program that used to be top 15 and then got wiped off the map for five years and then brought them back. And I said, in order to do that, sorry about the bird, uh, <laughs> in order to do that, we need pioneers. We need someone like myself who is looking and saying, I want to be a pioneer. I want to do something special, something unique. I need that in my players. I don't, you know, I mean, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a bunch of great tennis programs where you can go and be part of a top 25 or top 50 program. Maybe you play your second or third year or fourth year, but you come here, you're going you're gonna to be part of something that's always growing. And you're going to look back and say, I was part of that team that took us from when we were ranked 190 to 100 and from 100 to 50 and from 50 to 25. And that's going to be on your resume. You know, awesome. I took the chance to do something like that. And that's so that's what I talked with my recruits about and saying, like, that's a really special opportunity. It's, it's not a, it's not, you know, it's not around, you know, that much. Uh, you know, you know, don't hear about programs getting canceled. So. So we really brought in kids that were hungry, and I mean, I, I have to give I have to give all of the accolades and whatnot to them. They're the ones who do who did what I said. It was great. You know, they fought it here and there. They, you know, we 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 were, I'm a, a little bit of a disciplinarian. Uh, uh, I get that both my parents are from the old country, so they were very tough on me growing up, and uh, I guess I get a little bit of that old school uh, old country disciplinarian uh, in me. But you know, those these guys, they just they listened, they worked hard, they invested, and they saw results. And and now you know, Tulane tennis is is seeing some of the fruits of those labors and some of those things that you talked about. I want to talk about Dominic Kepfer because he, uh, I mean, really put your program on the map a lot with, with everything that he accomplished. Mm -hmm. And shout out to Billy Heiser, who I've had on the pod, gosh, about a year ago. So for the listeners, check, uh, check out my conversation with Billy. He talks about Dom as well. Um, I want to eventually ask what your emotions uh, were like watching him in the 2019 U.S. Open when he fought uh, Daniil Medvedev you know, really, really tough. And he, he almost won that match. That was a tough four setter. And I know Daniil was having some issues with the crowd that night. And I want to get to that in a minute. But Dom's story is interesting in, in how he ended up at Tulane and that he wasn't like one of these can't miss recruits that everyone knew this was the guy that they needed on their team. Talk a little bit about Dom's background and how he ended up at Tulane. Yeah, what a, what a unique story. I mean, Dom, Dom is, is what a great kid. Uh, I mean, just one of these guys that is is kind of like the the epitome of a college tennis player right is the guy that works his tail off the guy who's who's very solid academically he's the leader on the team 
Uh, he's super coachable, like a sponge out there every single day of practice. I mean, the guy just absorbed everything and, uh, and just kept on putting it out there on the court. And um, yeah, his, his, uh, his back, the little, the background on the story on how we found him. So I have a friend, um, uh, his name is Edgar Giffenig. Edgar is the, used to be a Federation coach for Germany. He was a national coach for the Federation here in USTA and in Mexico. This guy's Edgar's coached all the top juniors in the world to number one rankings. He's seen it and done it. He's coached pro players. He's played pro himself. Edgar's like literally the best coach in the world. And, and he, and he worked with me a little bit when I was playing on the tour. So we had a relationship there. Um, so Edgar calls me out of the blue and he's like, Hey Mark, I think I, yeah, I got this guy you might want to take a look at. And you know, at the time Tulane, we were not good. We were ranked 130 or 150 in the country. And that's not bad. Okay. I shouldn't say that, but I mean, it, we weren't, you know, uh, Where you're or whatever at. program. Yeah. <laughs> and so, so we'd only been around for three or four years. Uh, maybe it was two or three years. I can't remember. Um, uh, but uh, so he calls us. Yeah. I got this guy you want to take a look at. And he's like, tell me his name. Okay, great. What's his ranking. He's like, Oh, he doesn't have one. And I was like, what's his, you mean, what he doesn't play junior. He goes, no, he doesn't really play junior tournaments anymore. He only plays a couple of days a week. And I was like, okay, Edgar, you know, he knows I'm trying to build a program, right? He knows I'm trying to build a national program. <laughs> and he's sending me a guy that has, you know, zero experience, it sounds like, right? And he ends up, Dominic played when he was 12, 14, and 16 and whatnot, but then took some time off because he was playing other sports. And But anyway, so Edgar says, no, I'm telling you, this kid's really good. He hits the ball really well. He's a good athlete. I think he might pan out for you. He might be a good player. And I was like, Edgar, he got nothing to go on. I mean, he's not even playing any tournaments. I can't even recruit the guy. And uh, he goes, okay, I'm just telling you, I, I have a video of him and I'll send it to you, but I think he's going to be pretty good. And his, his German ranking was like 450 or something. And like, if you and I played right now, David, we would be somewhere in the top two or 300 in Germany. Like that's it, not saying anything bad about German ranking, but I'm just giving you an idea that if you just play enough, you, you know, you can get a decent rank. So he didn't have anything to go on. He was recruited by zero schools. He had a friend that went to an NAIA school that was, that was saying, Hey, why don't you come to college? And that was it. And so I, I finally saw the video and said, okay, I'm coming over and uh, set up a home visit with him. Um, uh, watched him practice within three minutes of uh, watching him work out and practice. I was like, this guy hits the ball as clean as Andre Agassi. It was a joke. I mean, his backhand is literally the best backhand I've coached in 21 years. Uh, uh, it's one of the best backhands I've seen and uh, abilities like with the forehand and the, the, the net play and he just runs like nonstop, just was always in a point. He can, and um, I was like, this guy, I said to myself, and I'm being honest here, I'm not going to, oh, this guy's going to be top 60 in the world. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I said, this guy is eventually going to be developed to be number one player on my team. And, you know, I thought we were going to be about a top 50 team, top 40 team in a few years. Um, and I said, this guy will play one for us. And I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know if he was going to go on from there. But I said, the ability that he has to, to hit the ball, and he's, he's going to be at least that good for us. So uh, uh, the next day or that day, I think we made an offer or something crazy and, and happened, boom, boom, boom. All of a sudden, signs commits to us, and it comes over. And uh so i mean unrecruited by anybody came over his freshman year with his fall he was like he'll tell you and, and you can get him on one of the show he'll say oh gosh that was so bad in college i mean he wasn't that bad but he just wasn't super great he played like 
he had like a losing record in the fall. We were playing him in like B and C draws and stuff. We're like, okay, he's going to be okay, you know. And then uh, his, uh, he got mono like over, over, over Thanksgiving or something and was out for 10 weeks or something like that. Didn't touch a racket. Came back in January. Looked like he hadn't skipped a beat. And we put him in at the lineup at six or five. He started winning. He won 15 matches in a row. And we just kind of moved him up uh, through the year. And by the next year, he was playing one. And he was ranked top 75. Next year, junior year, he was ranked somewhere in the top 25. And then – or top 20, I think. And then senior year, he made the big jump. And um, uh, uh, junior and senior years is when he made the big jump. And, and he'd been – he made some good – some good improvements on the national scale in like the individual tournaments and, and the rankings. So he got to like the semis, he qualified at in, in all America and in, in all American championships and made semis after qualifying, which was a long trip. Uh, and, um, and, and then, yeah, that next year he ended up making finals of all American, made finals of Oracle and then a national indoor things were clicking and um, started playing well. It wins the national indoor title. And we're just like, this is unbelievable. And, he held the number one ranking from 18 weeks straight in the spring, finished at number three, I believe, uh, with Mackenzie McDonald and Tyson Kwiatkowski and Cameron Norrie, maybe, were top four. That's a heck of a top four. Yeah, not bad that. company right there. Not People bad are talking about college tennis, the strength of college tennis. There's four guys in the top 100. Well, wow, that's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, but, Again, he's, at, he's, he's been successful on the Pro Tour. He's had a lot of good wins. The, the, the showcase match was that fourth round. And he, he qualified in 2019 at the U.S. Open. So he was a qualifier, gets to the fourth round, um, faces eventual runner-up, Daniil Medvedev, who had that unbelievable final versus Rafa. Um, uh, what, what was it like watching a fellow student compete at that level? Um, how were your emotions watching that match? Wow, yeah. I mean, what a great week. It, I, 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 get, I was so proud of him. You know, I mean, that's the only thing I think of like, it was like, oh my gosh, look at this kid. He's, you know, he's, he's doing everything that his coaches are telling him to do. Like the things that I told him to do in college, Billy told him to do when he was coaching him on the pro tour, he's putting it all into play. And he's seeing that you don't have to be as, you know, like a serve 190 miles an hour and hit a forehand like Andy Roddick to be, you know, top hundred or top 50 in the world. Right. I mean, you can have a solid game in different ways and, and think as long as you're act, thinking the right way, playing good tactics, you know, believing in yourself, all these things, your game can take off. And he's the perfect example of that. I mean, he's got a very nice all around game, but uh, um, it's not like he blows people off the court with his serve and forehand or whatever, like some of these guys do nowadays, but he just, finds ways to win he's the ultimate competitor and when I'm watching him out there like you said that was the seventh match of the tournament right I mean three tough quality matches almost he was down match point in one or two of the quality matches uh and just shows up. how razor thin the margins are like what yeah. you just said I mean down match points that, qualifying. yeah people are asking me that all the time like oh does this guy have the ability to do this and I said hey listen I think he's got the ability to do it you know but I mean he lost six and six again to the guy ranked, you know, uh, 60 in the world. Oh, well, you know, it's, it's a point. It's, it's, it's like you said, razor thin. So I said, just a matter of when he makes the breakthrough, if he keeps on believing and, and he can make it happen. Right. So, so he just kept on believing, kept on pushing. And, and so watching him play that whole week, we had a bunch of Tulane, uh, his teammates came out and, uh, flew in for the matches and it was great. So we had all the support and, um, uh, but, I mean, to, to be able to watch, you talk about the fruits of labors. And I mean, this kid has worked so hard. He's believed 
and believed and believed. And he just kept, even in, in his tough times when he was, you know, losing in college or then he was losing on the pro tour. And then, you know, you just watch him keep on working, keep on working, keep on believing, keep on giving himself an opportunity. And, and he's finding ways to get it done. He's, and, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's, uh, it's who he is as a competitor. You know, I mean, I've always, I always, I always kind of joke, but I've always called him a, a pit bull. Like, I mean, he's, you get him in the ring and I, that's a horrible thing. I love dogs and I love pit bulls, but I mean, you get him in the ring, he's a fighter. That's it. He's never going to let go. He's never played a match in college in four years where I saw him give up ever. And mentally he would go in and out with anger and whatnot, but he never gave up physically. And that's one of the things that just allows him to keep on fighting, allows him to give himself the, the best opportunity. And, and for, to see, we've been telling, listen, it's, it's every college coach has been telling their kids this for hundred years, right? It just happened to be at Tulane with, with Dominic, right? So it's, it's not like it's you know, Mark Forrest that, that did it to get him there, right? So it's, I mean, you can talk to a hundred college coaches and they're gonna tell you the same thing. I told the kid, if he does this, 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 and this, and he believes and gives himself, he can have an opportunity to do it. And watching him do it, it was just a, it was, it was, it was so encouraging for me as a coach as well, because to know that, you know, Hey, listen, these things, you don't have to, there's not some secret, you know, that there are a pill that you take or whatever that gives you this or your serve or whatever, but there's an opportunity for everybody to do it. If you give yourself the best chance and I keep going in circles with it, but I just, I'm so proud of him for, for continuing to invest and invest the right way and, and believing in himself. No, a hundred percent. Thank you for sharing that. And I I know we've been going for a long time. I don't want to take out any more uh, your time during the day, but I want to end with a, with a, some, a couple fun facts, just basically personal stuff, get to know you a little bit better. Um, I understand your wife's an opera soprano uh, you do you have any in, in that in your blood are you you ready to belt out anything on this podcast well uh i can tell you that i've been playing guitar for 25 years uh okay. when i was on the tour I, I traveled with a guitar and uh so i used to play in my church band uh in baton rouge i haven't played in, in, with a band in 10 or 12 years but uh i still fiddle, fiddle around with that and um uh she she cringes a little bit, you know, when I sing, uh, I'm like, Hey babe, how does this sound? And she's like, that's nice. That's nice. That's, and that's like the, the worst thing you can hear. Right. I mean, you know, from a, the opera singer, right? Like, Oh no, no, that looks pretty good. That was nice. I mean, like somebody that's not great at tennis says, I asked, how's my forehand look? And I say, Oh, that's nice. You know? Yeah. So, so right, we won't put you on the spot. We won't, we don't see the guitar out there. We're not going to make you sing. So we're going to move on to the next one. Cubs or White Sox? Cubbies, Cubbies. So 2016, man, you love 2016, yeah. huh? I mean, I'm a, I'm a South Sider, so everybody in the South Sides game, Mark, you're horrible for saying this, but my grandma used to take me to the Cubs games. We used to get on the train and head up north and go to you know Wrigley Field for a day game, and and uh, so I was always you know watch them on WGN every day, and, right. and so always Cubby. Uh, you and I grew up with MJ and the Bulls, so yeah. the Last Dance episodes. Real quickly, did you take any of those lessons and, and talk about those with, with the kids? I know you had to enjoy it watching that documentary. Yeah, I mean, so I was, that was an amazing documentary. And, and I, so all my kids watched it and they watched it again. And I, I was like, that's what I've been telling you guys, you know, because they're like, hey, LeBron or MJ or Kobe or this or that. And I'm like, no, look, that's Michael Jordan, right? But so it was good for them. But here's the interesting thing. Like you, you said, do you use any of this stuff with the kids? 
we we had several meetings um, with the guys during the COVID times where we said, hey, listen, we're going to talk about this, and I want you guys to critique these documentaries. I want to hear what you have to say about this stuff because I tell you guys what to do all the time, and I say, hey, think like this, look like this, uh, look what this guy, motivation, this and that. But it was really interesting to hear from their viewpoint, um, the things that they took from it. And uh, some of the interesting things that they took from it were, they said, you know, the level of of commitment and excellence that Michael Jordan had and and brought out of everybody around him. And you know, you 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 kind of you talked about Dominic a little bit earlier and we had guys that were working hard and they were pretty decent at tennis, but his level of commitment and his commitment to excellence spread out to everybody on the team. And they saw that, my gosh, if I if I don't bring it today on the court to practice with Dominic, I mean he's gonna be pissed and he's gonna I'm gonna ruin his practice. So I better, you know <laughs> No, that's, and, that's, a, that's a great point. But I mean, and they got better themselves, right? But you see that level of commitment to excellence that he had. And uh, I mean, just that drive. That's one of the other things the guys on the team talked about. They said, this, this guy's drive to be the greatest. Nothing was getting in his way. He just, well, he just wanted to keep on going at it. And I could go on for hours about it. I'm obviously yeah. a huge fan. No, and to be but, honest, and to be honest, coach, you're not the only um, coach that I've spoke, that I've spoken to about this documentary. A lot of college coaches, used that documentary as um you know zoom sessions at the time with their kids and, mm-hmm. and everybody could learn from it so the last question i want to ask you and now we're going to tie both your worlds together and you got to pick one coach you got to pick one chicago style pizza we're talking the thick style pizza right or new orleans cajun food you got to pick one okay well okay i'm gonna throw a third one in there so <laughs> i okay <laughs> Now listen, I've been I've been swearing by this for my whole life. I'm from the south side of Chicago, south suburb. We grew up with Aurelio's Pizza. Aurelio's is the thin crust, the one that wins all the awards for best pizza in Chicago every year. That's what I grew up on. That's what I swear by is thin crust Chicago pizza okay. from Aurelio's. Uh, Chicago deep dish is wonderful, but I was always a thin crust guy. And now that I've been in New Orleans for 20 or Louisiana for 21 years, yeah, the Cajun food's pretty good. I have, a, I'm, I'm blessed to have a mix of both. So I, uh, <laughs> All right, we'll let you we have to get some Aurelio's though. Yeah. We'll let you slide with that answer. Um, you know, we, both of us have some mutual connections and everyone that I talked to, um, of our mutual connections said they're going to love to talk to, to Mark and it's going to be a great, great conversation. And they didn't lie. I really, really enjoyed talking with you. You're doing such a great job with, with your program and you do it the right way. And, um, appreciate this. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for taking time out of your day and, and sharing your story with us. David, thanks so much for having me. Uh, I mean, this is, this is, uh, this has been encouraging for me as well and motivational for me as well to, to kind of, you know, sometimes you need to talk these things out and hear some things that you did in the past and whatnot or other things that are going on. And in this tough time of COVID that we have, guys aren't competing, guys are doing whatever reminds me to really just embrace what I have, embrace the opportunity that I have as a coach and, uh, and want to, to, to motivate my guys to do the same thing. Hey guys, listen, we don't know what's out there in front of us with this, with the, with the, with if we're going to compete this or that or blah, 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 who's going to get sick, right? Embrace what you have right now, right? Focus on this task at hand, this process, love what you're doing because you don't know when you're going to lose it. Right. And, uh, this was a great conversation for me to, to relive a bunch of that stuff and remember to, to continue embracing what I have and the blessing that I have to be able to work here at Tulane. Great lesson and what a great way to end the conversation. Looking forward to staying in, in touch with you, Coach, and this, this was fun. Thank you so much.
Thanks, David. Have a great day.